Welcome to the Speechly podcast, where you can expect conversations exploring the best opportunities in the world of voice user interfaces. So this is the first episode, besides the introduction episode of the Speechly podcast. And if you listen to that initial intro, you know our first series of interviews comes from a series of discussions in the Voice Interface Club on Clubhouse, where really the main goal of the club is to explore approaches for integrating voice interfaces into technology, but outside of the conversational or voice assistant model. And in today's discussion, I'm talking with Dave Kemp of Oak Tree Products to explore voice user interfaces in the world of flight and travel booking experiences. And we use the United skill on Alexa as a starting point to look at how voice tech is making its way into this space. But we also get into discussing the type of voice experiences users are actually ready for in 2021. We also look at the definition of multimodal voice experiences today, and if that should maybe be explored a little bit further. We also look at how embracing multimodality and a voice user interface feature perspective from the start of the United Project could have led to maybe a better end user flight and travel booking experience altogether. And we also look at much more about voice in the travel space specifically, and also generally from the perspective of overall user behavior with voice user interfaces. I hope you enjoy this interview with Dave Kemp on the Speechly Podcast. Just want to kick it off by maybe giving a little bit of context on on the room and what we're going to be talking about today. So yeah, the the mission of this club, uh, or really the main focus of this club, is to explore other approaches for integrating voice interfaces into technology uh, outside of the conversational or voice assistant model. Uh, and really, the goal of this first series that we're doing, the the voice assistant UI or the voice UI. Uh, the goal is really twofold. So we have these five years of over 100,000 different voice-enabled experiences that exist. And it's really a, a good vessel for us to research why third-party voice apps and the experience adoption really hasn't followed the same trajectory as first-party experiences. And it also gives us an opportunity to explore other approaches for integrating these voice interfaces to enable these use cases outside of the voice assistant model. And these are models that are more focused on voice interfaces as a feature of apps or websites. And again, less on that conversational experience. But today I have Dave Kemp here with Oak Tree Products. So Dave, would you want to give a quick intro? Sure, absolutely. Thanks for having me on here. Always fun to chat with you, man. It's been a while since we've gotten together in person. So I'm looking forward to the return of in-person events so that you and I and a lot of the other folks that um, have really, you know, been su such great friends in the voice community, we can all get back together. Um, so my name's Dave Kemp. I'm the director of business in, in regard to, you know, podcasting and blogging around the intersection of hearing healthcare, hearables, and voice technology. Um, Oak Tree is a supplier to the hearing healthcare professional. So that's kind of like where my, my origins are is like audiologists, ENT doctors, people that fit hearing aids. And as like these devices continue to become more sophisticated, these Bluetooth enabled hearing aids, lots and lots of new use cases are arising. And that's how I got really interested in the voice space was like this idea that eventually the, these two sort of like disparate sets of technology would kind of meet in the middle and you would have the hearables or the hearing aids really serving as like a home, a house, if you will, for these either call them voice assistants or the voice, you know, the voice user interfaces. And uh, so that's how I got really interested in this space. That's kind of the focus that I have with Future Ear is to follow you know, both sets of technologies and kind of track, like, here's everything that's going on with AirPods and hearables and hearing aids. And here's everything that's going on with voice technology and try to kind of meet, like figure out ways in which they're, they're really interrelated. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. And so today we're going to be looking at the task of flight booking or even more generally travel booking. And we're going to be doing this by looking at the United skill, the Alexa skill for United, and maybe a little bit of context to, to just kick it off. Um, ultimately, this skill, and if, if you're with us last week in last week's discussion, uh, the skill really tries to accomplish a lot. Uh, but the main user task that we're going to be looking at today is actually the ability to search and purchase a ticket. 
So I, I tried this experience out and, and ultimately it fails before you can get to completion. But for that, that first step of the flight booking process, you know, the general search query, uh, it takes nearly a minute of this turn-based back and forth experience uh, just to get through that first part. So there's really, for me, this question of, uh, if you look at, you know, the current best practice of either, you know, whipping out your phone or going on the computer, uh, how much value is there really here? But Dave, I'm curious, I know that you had a chance to test out the uh, the skill, the United skill as well. What was your first experience reaction or thoughts from it? Yeah, so I, um, I, I did, I, I played around with it a bit. And so when you launch it on Alexa, um, what it does is it gives you three options. It's, you can, uh, you can check into a flight, uh, you can book a flight and honestly, I'm blanking on the third one. And so when you go to book a flight, it actually um, kicks you over to kayak, which I thought was kind of odd, you know, so I, I would have thought that you would be able to book a flight through United through the United app, but rather than provide you with any sort of United options, it immediately moves you over to kayak, which is like kind of disorienting. I don't have any pending flights, so I couldn't try the check United or check my flight kind of thing. So really it was like, you know, and not to mention that when I did launch the app, I had to link it to my account, which is understandable, but you know, that's just like a little bit more friction there. I think there's a lot of opportunity for, you know, Alexa or Google to just have these things sort of like married up to your online personality or your profile so that these things are a little bit more seamless. So you're not constantly having to log in here, log in there. Um, that's just my own personal opinion on that. But ultimately I, I just kind of felt like it was, um, it, it just didn't provide a whole lot of functionality. And, and again, by moving me over to kayak, that was kind of interesting because then I was in the kayak app and I was trying that. And so I got all the way to, you know, okay, where would you like to go? And so I'm like trying to book a flight and I will say it was kind of slick. Like it gave you the option to say where you wanted to fly. And so I, I said, okay, I'm based out of St. Louis. And I said, St. Louis. And, and then it's like, when would you like to fly? And then I said, August 15th. And, and then it was like, okay, when would you like to, uh, where would you like to fly to? And I said, Paris. And then it said, when would you like to fly home? And I said, August 31st. And then, so it gave me a list of results, which was great, but then I couldn't really query like I would on my computer or on my phone. Like, of course, one of the first things I'm going to look at is what's the longest flight. The way that it filtered the results for me was based on price. And so it said, here's the lowest cost um, flight for you. And it was like $780. Okay, fine. So then I said, um, what is the shortest flight? And that kicked me back to the beginning of the process. And like, this has always been my frustration with conversational UI is that, um, it's like turnstile, you get to a few things and then you get moved right back to the beginning. And it's just like, I'm not entirely sure where the value is here. Like, is it convenience? Cause it doesn't feel very convenient. It doesn't feel very speedy. It's not very robust. And so I'm just scratching my head here five years in, like you said, like, what are the value of these third-party applications by and large? Yeah. You, you said a lot of uh, interesting sort of threads that, we, that we're definitely going to dig into a little bit more. Um, but maybe just to start, I'm, I'm thinking, and, and you mentioned there's like these few different layers of clunkiness. Uh, you mentioned like integrating with the mobile application and, and I guess almost going in circles uh, with some of the questions. Do you think that everyday voice assistant users, or, or maybe not even everyday voice assistant users, maybe like the, the more heavy users, so more of the, the, the daily active user of a voice assistant, uh, maybe even like look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, do you think the majority of people are ready to make complete purchases like travel uh, using a voice assistant in the first place, even if it was pretty seamless? Uh, I, I mean, I think that's like up for debate because I just don't think we're there. I, I, yeah. I really don't. I mean, I think that there's too many issues. It's riddled with too many um sort of like defunct, uh, you know, results and the going around in circles is the most frustrating part. I, I, I mean, I contend that like, I think a big reason why the third party ecosystem hasn't ever really taken off is it all, all it takes is one bad experience. And then you're sort of like, uh, I don't want to 
I don't want to interact with these things again. Because really what we're talking about is a comparison between the legacy modalities. Like, are people really upset about booking a flight through their phone or through their computer? I just don't really see that. And so in order for you to want to use your voice assistant for this, it would have to not only match parity, but it would have to exceed the experience that you're having on your phone or, or on your website. And I just think it's kind of disingenuous to pretend that it somehow is. I've just not come across any experience, especially from a third party application standpoint, because of all these different things that it's it, it all accumulates into just it's a it's just an inferior experience in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And and I think that uh, if, if you'd bring this topic up to, to different people in the voice community, you might get a little bit of pushback, or at least I assume you might get a little pushback uh, around this notion or this idea of saying, well, if it's a multimodal experience, then, then it'll be good. This, this can be solved as long as it's a multimodal experience. However, I'd like to get your thoughts or maybe your reaction uh, to this question or something I've been considering around the current definition of a multimodal voice assistant experience. Um, but ultimately, my view is that with a multimodal experience today for voice assistants, it's probably more accurately defined as a conversational experience with some sort of stale image reinforcement. And what I really mean by that is I think the true definition of a multimodal experience is one where you're going to be able to, you know, easily enjoy some of the other UI features of the, the modality as well, you know, typing, swiping alongside voice. Uh, but that's just really non-existent in multimodal voice experiences today. Uh, I guess, do you think we need a better definition or do you think we need to explore a little bit deeper as an industry uh, what a multimodal experience really is today or, or what it can be? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that it's, uh, I'll, I'll take this same experience, right? So I was using uh, my Echo Show that I have in my office here. And, um, you know, on one hand, it, it was nice that, you know, with the Kayak app, I could see, okay, here's the search results. But again, it fails from the standpoint that it's not providing you with nearly as robust of information as your your web app or online, and so or your mobile app. And so I just feel like, um, we're, we're, we're kind of like trying to port all these different things. And, and as I've become like stayed in this space longer and longer, I just kind of am puzzled by, you know, is this really the right approach? Like is the better approach to take web and mobile apps and layer voice onto it rather than try to create like this separate ecosystem. That's, uh, these standalone apps that are in many ways, I think inferior, um, and then try to layer on a lot of the things that are in the existing modalities. It's just, it's almost like we're, we're reverse engineering, um, the, the mobile apps now like multimodal, you know, okay. So what I'm looking at here, what's the difference between that and, and accessing that on my phone, other than on my phone, I have a little bit more conditioning with like how I go about doing that. And then again, it's the the robustness that's included. But at the end of the day, what what exactly is this multimodal experience trying to solve that you know I'm not um, I'm not getting today, like that that doesn't exist today. And and that's where I think the trouble is kind of rooted is like it's 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 seemingly like we're trying to come up with this entirely new premise when we're now starting to kind of assemble the same things that we already have, but it's just kind of an inferior um, end result. Yeah. And I, and I don't think that that's necessarily a function of, you know, the voice interface part of it. I think it's more of a function of the actual experience, uh, the end user experience and, and how we're taking advantage of using the different voice tech tooling that we have. Um, but I, I think this is a good segue ultimately. And, and maybe just to reset the room, um, we're talking about voice experiences, uh, specifically travel booking experiences and, and looking at the, uh, the current state of, of voice enabled travel booking experiences. So thinking of uh, a voice assistant experience. So we're looking at the, the United skill specifically. 
Um, but I want to use this as a segue because I think multimodality is crucial when you're integrating voice interfaces as a feature in existing experiences. And, and I think uh, it's helpful to give a little bit of context on like, what do I really mean when I say voice interface as a feature? And this is the, the sort of model that we'll be talking about for the rest of this discussion. But first and foremost, voice is an interface. So just like a touchscreen is an interface to a mobile phone, or a keyboard is an interface to a laptop, voice is a really good interface to all technology and can be a valuable feature, you know, in these existing domains where people already have built robust experiences. So mobile, web, even in some IoT devices. So you can think in this specific context, uh, the discussion today, you can think of voice input as a feature in the flight booking experience. Uh, so think about it as a feature in the United Mobile app or the general website, not just a completely different channel, but something where it's already native. And so, and, and Dave, I think you said something interesting here, and, and, and it's a question that I've had in the back of my mind. Um, for experiences that are ultimately going to require some sort of visual confirmation, um, I think like in the, in the instance of really anything with a purchase, you're, you're going to want to lay your eyes on on a screen at some point, just, just to feel confident, at least today. Uh, I, I guess like a question that I have is why are we approaching uh, voice from the perspective of these, I guess, conversational devices when we already know the user is going to want some sort of visual confirmation in the first place. So why not just start from the perspective of let's say mobile or web, uh, especially in the instances where you know the user is more than likely going to want a screen anyways. Right. And I think that like the, the thing that you, you can see in the usage data that, you know, Brett and the team at VoiceBot always publish is like, what are the popular use cases? Well, not only are they first party, but they're really transactional in the nature of like they're one, you know, it's like one exchange, right? It's like, play this song. Okay. Would you like to listen to it? Yes. You know, play this podcast, um, set a timer, right? Like these aren't really conversational things. These are you initiating some action with your voice for one sort of transactional exchange. Now, granted, like, I want to be clear. I I've interviewed people on my podcast before that are building in this ecosystem that are doing really ambitious things and really cool things. And I am, I am like bullish long-term about conversational AI, but I'm, I'm sort of like a little bit frustrated because I think that I, we've, we've conflated like the voice user interface, which is ready and is ready to be deployed. And not only is it ready to be deployed, but I think it's the most powerful aspect of voice today, like layering on the input side of things. Like that's what voice does really well is the input. The output kind of sucks. I mean, you're, you're kind of at like the whims of like, um, okay, first did it understand me? And then if it did, like you have to then listen to this huge response back and then you have to respond. And so you're in this like unnatural conversation with this like sort of half-baked AI when in reality, it's like, that's not really the core use of this today. What the use is that people are actually getting value out of with their little speakers is media. It's these like short transactional things. And so I just wonder if like, we've just kind of lost sight of what people actually are using these things for under this premise of like, oh, well, there's this third party ecosystem. And again, if you look at the usage data, the third party ecosystem data is like kind of abysmal. There's not very many applications out there that have gained traction. There are some, there are games, there are sleep sounds, there are things like that, um, that, that do work. And I would contend that like the first PCs had little applications that worked, but like by and large, the internet didn't really take off until you had lots of little breakthroughs and, and ultimately culminating in like the major breakthroughs, like you eventually had search engines and you made it so that you have these like imperatives to where it makes sense to then suddenly build a website or whatever that might be. And so my point is, is that I think that like there are elements of voice that are ready and that they're mature and that they are additive. But I think that like as a standalone ecosystem, unless it is an ecosystem that is full of small transactional interactions with these things, I just don't see them being all that compelling. And I, I, again, I think that the biggest problem that has, that we've run into is that 
you look at, wow, look at all of this proliferation of these devices. That must somehow indicate that people love using Alexa and use Google Assistant. When the data actually suggests that it's more like people like to listen to music. They like to listen to a podcast. They like to, you know, set a timer, check the weather. Um, Would you really consider that to be like they love engaging with a voice assistant or do they like just being able to access media through one command? They're two Mm. very, very different things. And I feel like we've conflated them. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it's very interesting because the the top use cases and if, Anybody that follows me or listens to, to what I said knows that I, I say this a lot, but the, the top five use cases for the last three years are all these first party experiences and none of them are conversational. They're very command and control, uh, maybe one turn, uh, ask a simple question, ask the weather, and then you just get your, your, your task back or your, your results back. But, but none of that is conversational. So I also think it's kind of interesting that the same uh, platforms that are encouraging the third parties to build these robust conversational experiences are kind of taking all the the benefit of the the single turn or the more command and control and not really talking about that all that much. And ultimately, I think the real value today, like you said, the, the voice interface is ready and there's nothing holding back any business or any brand from taking that same truth of the voice input or the voice command and control and further exploring what that means in their own business, uh, whether that's a B2B application or it's something for the end consumer. I, I, I think that's something that we, quite frankly, as an industry need to press on a little bit more and, and ultimately is, is one of the main, uh, one of the big things that we're, we're trying to talk about in this club. Um, but maybe to bring it back to flight booking and travel a little bit more, where do you think makes the most sense to start? Do you think builders or different product teams should look at this voice input feature uh, in a mobile context, a web context? Where, where do you book travel? Where, where do you think would be the most, make the most sense? I mean, I think that, yeah, like if, if we're looking at it as like, what is um, probably like the easiest solutions of, of where there are opportunities, I would say that, you know, layering it into all of the different mobile applications like the Expedia app, the Kayak app, so that it's very similar to, um, you know, the Spotify app where you just click the the microphone button and then you can search. I mean, really, that's that's the kind of killer use case, right? When we're talking about the UI is it's the input. And so like, what are the different kinds of inputs that you have? Well, like querying a question. So being able to filter quickly, I think is like a really powerful use case too. So I see it as something where it's like, um, you know, with some of the different uh, videos that you all have with, um, you know, with uh, Speechly and, and showing like, you know, whether it be e-commerce or flight booking, the, the ability to just like really quickly refine your search, I think is huge. And um, so it's like filtering for whether it be with e-commerce and you're like, you know, narrowing down your search to the specific type of shoe that you want, the brand and the uh, size and the color and all that, like flights very similar where I think you're just like that. That's, that's a pretty powerful thing where you're just very quickly, rather than having it communicate back to you, you're just seeing it in real time on your phone. Because just like you said, like, I'm not sure that people are going to be really, I don't know if there's a whole lot of demand in the market right now to like book a flight through a voice assistant without being able to actually see the details of the flight. However, I think that being able to book a flight through your phone using your voice through the UI on the app itself would be really compelling because then it's just a much, much faster way. I don't have to type these things in. And if it's like a a very quick, like real time results where it's like, okay, so like I'm going to start with the different parameters that go into booking a flight. So where are you going? You know, like what are the different things that you want? I want like these personalized preferences, whether it be, I like aisle seats, window seats. I want, you know, first class. I want economy class. I want to look in filter by the flights that have the shortest duration, or I want to look at flights that are the cheapest. Like we all know what these parameters are when it comes to a flight. And so that seems to be like where the big opportunity lies in terms of, of the UI. Now that said, like, I I don't necessarily mean to discourage like people building for a conversational experience for flight booking. It just has to be something that's 
that's different. Like it has to play to the strengths of, of a voice assistant. And honestly, I don't really know what those are. Like, I just think that trying to somehow match parity with what's already a really great experience rather than like focusing on how do you make that already great experience in the application itself, a, you know, additive layer of voice to make that an even better experience rather than like try to create something from scratch. It just seems like you're Sisyphus, like pushing the the <laughs> ball up the hill. Like you're, you're getting yourself into something that I, I just don't know if there's a lot of demand for. And it would seem like there is definitely demand for just a more optimal experience that people are by and large using today, whether it be through their web browser or it be through their phone. And that's where I think voice really shines is like the input element of, of the voice UI. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. Uh, I, I guess I also think about, uh, or maybe to, to bring back the point that I brought earlier about like the definition of, of multimodal. Um, I think we need a better definition because like you said, in this context where you have the touch screen, you have the keyboard readily accessible for, you know, whether it's actual, the first part, the search experience or the end part, the, the purchase, the most efficient way would be, you know, using your voice for all the structured data and then anything where maybe it's more personal information or something that you can easily confirm, you just use swiping or typing and it's, and it's this back and forth, uh, experience, but none of that is necessarily conversational. Um, you know, it's just using the, the value of the voice interface. And I guess, you know, I'm, what I'm thinking is, do you think we can better define some of these multimodal experiences by just, I think from, step one, just eliminating the need for the conversational model. Uh, do you think that would lead to just maybe just breaking the, the mental model that we have today and just open up more room for creativity to define exactly what that multimodal experience looks like? I'm not sure that you need to quote unquote break or, you know, move away from it in any sense other than I think what you need to do is just prove and validate that the like, really kind of emphasizing that the real opportunity here is with the voice user interface. And, um, you know, like you said, like, sh I think just like having more of a confirmation in the market that that's where the demand is, I think it will naturally kind of gravitate people toward that as where the opportunity lies. And you can see it in so many different enterprise applications too. Like it's not just in these uh, consumer uh, oriented things. Like I think that's why custom assistants are really, really interesting is that when it's real domain specific, it actually might make sense to have um, not even if it's conversational, but like building, you know, like a, a specific little UI that you can then input these things into whatever that domain is built for, whether it be like Bruce Rasa at uh, Ag Voice and having, you know, this like data set that is very, very highly specific to agriculture and having, you know, like the different nomenclature that's used by that type of farmer and that type of um, cattle rancher, like those seem to be where, where the opportunities are. And so again, it's like, what element of this is really conversational? I think that really what we're looking at is um, having a ability to log things with your voice quickly um, and accurately, and then being able to generate some sort of result based on whatever you're inputting. And I feel like I, I agree with you where a lot of the time, um, you know, it might make the most sense to just port that result onto a screen, knowing that the majority of people are probably looking at a screen. And if not, if it is truly like a, uh, you know, hands busy, eyes busy kind of thing, then that might make sense to then have a, a conversational element to this. But I almost think that in today's times, you know, it's just the screen is superior from an output standpoint. And I don't, I personally don't know very many instances where having this back and forth exchange with this kind of brittle um, AI that's that's not fully formed, um, it just constantly leads to a uh, dissatisfaction. And I that's I think the biggest concern from like the the voice enthusiast group is like don't put your ambitions. In, 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 in like the top priority, because ultimately, if you if you try to kind of create this scenario where like you're forcing people into these conversational experiences, um, you're ultimately going to set yourself up if it is like just not up to, to par, you're going to leave people dissatisfied and therefore they're going to be 
dejected and they're likely not going to want to use that again. And they're going to have a bad sort of perspective and taste in their mouth about what these things are. And so I think that's the bigger long-term concern is like basically um, using your capital, like, you, you know, your goodwill now when it's not fully formed rather than focusing on the areas that it is fully formed, which is the, again, it's the UI element of this, in my opinion. Yeah. And the stickiness of a good voice experience is amazing, but the ability to turn people away from a poor voice experience, I think is <laughs> at the same scale. Um, so that, that's pretty interesting. Uh, I, I have a few more questions here for you, Dave. Um, but I know that I, I saw a few people raise their hand and then put it down. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely have some time to answer any questions um, here in the next few minutes. And, and I just want to reset and, and let everybody know that we, we are recording this. Uh, so if you wanted to come up for a question, I just want you to be mindful of that. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's two more questions that I ultimately wanted to hit with you, Dave. And, and if there are questions, please start, you can start raising your hands whenever. Um, but I, I was thinking around this idea of, the voice assistant model. And, and you said that, you know, you're, you still have this belief uh, eventually, um, if you will, that, that this voice assistant or conversational model will have its, its area where it makes sense. But I, I guess a concept that I've been thinking about more is from the perspective of the, the voice user interface, just the, the voice interface feature, there's still so much ground to be established in terms of best practices of, of integrating just the simple voice input and the voice command and control feature that I almost see it as a necessary foundation to inform any sort of future we are going to have around a, a truly conversational um, experience or model. Uh, does that resonate with you at all? Or have you thought about that uh, in depth at all? Say it one more time. Yeah, just just thinking from the perspective of the the voice interface feature, um, without establishing robust best practices of the simple voice input and then voice command and control experience, uh, do you think we can ever sort of graduate to the more robust voice assistant or conversational experience without having that initial foundation of just the the voice interface itself? Well, I think that that is, you know, as Brett Kinsella will describe as like the training wheel effect, right? It's the habituation. Um, I wish Andy was still in here because I think he's a great example. Like he uses his hearing aids that have, uh, you know, they're basically Android and they are tethered to his phone. And so he can communicate with Google Assistant in his ears. And it really is like you, you kind of watch him use it. And it feels like a precursor to what's coming because a lot of it is like these like, you know, hey, Google, send a text message. Hey, Google, um, call Dave Kemp. You know, hey, Google, uh, pull up this podcast. You know, so again, there are these like kind of like transactional things, but it's building the habit. And I think that's probably like one of the biggest things that needs to happen for the groundwork, like you said, to be laid for the more advanced things that will come. People have to become acclimated to this idea of offloading tasks. And I think that they start with, like that's again why you see that the most popular use cases of a smart speaker and voice assistants, broadly speaking, are these like highly transactional things because they work, you know, setting a timer, playing music and checking the weather, it just works. And therefore people get used to that. And I think that's like, there's a lot to be said for that, where you don't want to overcomplicate things. You want to make it like kind of, you get in, you get out, but that ultimately I think will condition people to where they do feel more and more comfortable with kind of progressing into deeper levels of engagement with these things. And I know that like, there's definitely a portion of people like a early, you know, uh, adopters portion of people that are already logging seven minute sessions, 10 minute sessions, but like the general public, the ones that do own a smart speaker are not doing that. The third party data in there suggests that they're not even accessing the third party apps. They're just checking the weather and they're playing music and they're doing the first party application. So like by and large, you're getting the earliest possible phase of onboarding where people are just getting used to, you know, everything that was like the legacy modality was the phone. And before that it was the web. And to suggest that you're now going to migrate specific use cases of all the, you know, if you go into your phone 80 to a hundred times a day, 
you're you're using it for a specific use case. So if you start to sort of break it out and you figure out like what exactly am I doing with my phone, I would almost say like what what is it that you're doing in there that can be done through a voice UI or a voice assistant today in a way that like would be compelling for people. And I think until we can like truthfully say that there are a, a critical mass of applications that you're relying on your phone for today that can be done better through your voice. I just don't think that we're there yet. And so I think in the absence of that, the best, the best route for like the long-term success of voice is to just start with the things that work and really promote those things and, and find what works about that. So it's the transactional nature of it, the really quick in and out, uh, sense. And it's, you know, the, the things that, um, are just are very, very easy to do and find, okay, so if that's the common theme with these things that work, what are the other things that this would apply to? And what do we need to do to enable those so that they're just as easy to do, you know, whether it be like you said, with when you're shopping online, like how do you build the habit to start searching for things with your voice? Well, you have to make it so that that's a superior experience. You have to start to validate that like shopping for a pair of shoes through the legacy modality is now inferior to shopping for that same pair of shoes using a voice UI. And like, that's where I really feel that the focus needs to be by and large. Um, if, if we're talking about like the usage of these things across time, yeah, that's that's super interesting. And I, I think it's in order, I guess, to progress forward or graduate uh, from the training wheels uh, to some of these different experiences, I just think that there needs to be this certain level of trust or maybe not trust. I think a better way of thinking about it is as a user, you need to have this confidence in the voice interface to actually be able to accomplish what it is you want to do. And today there is not that confidence with the voice assistant uh, experience. And I think that we're, it's, it's just a very tough argument to say, if we just keep, you know, building more and more of these voice assistant experiences that, you know, there's going to be the experience that kind of brings it all together. Um, I think that in order to build confidence uh, in the voice interface with users, we just need to think and focus on, again, what, what is able to deliver the value today and then rinse and repeat that in as many different areas as possible, because that's ultimately going to build that end user confidence over time. And is like you said, in the case with, with Andy and how he uses his voice assistant, you need to lay that foundation. Uh, if we ever expect further adoption to take root, because you can't just have one good experience and expect uh, a wide adoption across, uh, let's say the world or, or a country or whatever your, your demographic of interest is, but it's not just one experience that's going to sort of, uh, inspire everybody. I, I really think it's going to take this, uh, repeated reminder or confirmation that there is value in the voice interface itself. Uh, but maybe the last question I'd like to ask you, Dave, and I'll, I'll bring it back to, uh, the travel booking um, context. And maybe this even kind of ties into this idea of needing to make sure that you're delivering value. And um, I think of travel booking as there being these three pieces of the overall experience. You know, you have the first search, the the general search, where you're going, what day, um, that sort of thing. And then you, you ultimately filter, uh, you know, like, do I want to be in first class? Do I want this price? Yada, yada. And then there's the actual purchase. So I, I think there's these three pieces of the experience each of which could have voice input be a valuable part of the experience. However, from, from this angle of making sure that you can actually deliver true value, uh, do you think from the, the perspective of a developer or a product team, do you think it would make more sense to just really nail that voice input or voice interface feature in one piece of the experience? Or do you think that the end user is going to expect a robust offering where I'm going to be able to start the search and ultimately throughout to the end, if I want to use my voice, I'll have that ability from, from search to purchase. I'm not sure if it has to be something where it needs to be something that's like so all encompassing. Again, I, I wonder if that's part of the problem is that we've, um, you know, by and large, people that are building these things that have felt like I need to have every single element of 
the legacy experience um, be ported into this like world of voice and have everything be able to done be done via voice. And it's just like I, I, I kind of see it as like um, I think Spotify is a really good example of this. Like you don't necessarily like um, go in there and, you know, like every single element of Spotify is like being able to be done through that voice search option, but it's like kind of explicit of what that is. It's being able to search for a specific song, being able to search for a specific podcast. You're not like building playlists with that. You're not like sharing out a song with that. You're just searching for a song. And so I think that that's where I think we can get is like just kind of establishing the expectation that this is for one specific thing. You know, this is for, the refinement of your search for that particular thing that you're buying online or for, you know, getting you down to the like five results that pertain to your parameters that you've searched for with this flight so that you can choose, right? Like I think then the the whole notion of the, the value proposition is speed and convenience. And it's like being able to just like accurately get down to what you're looking for with fewer steps than you would doing the legacy modality. And I think it's like, rather than just try to like boil the ocean and do everything, it's just focus on the things that these things are good at today and set the expectation within whatever it is that they're kind of layered on top of. So if it's, you know, Shopify, then it's in the search bar, you know, if it's kayak or if it's Expedia, it's in the search bar, you know, and it's not really indicating that you're going to like actually pay with your credit card in there. It might graduate into that in time, but I just, again, I don't think that people are necessarily like, A, I don't know if they're ready for that. And B, I'm not sure if that's a pain point for them. I don't know. It's like, maybe we're trying to solve problems that don't, aren't really being asked to be solved. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point. I I think for myself, the, I, I was just revert back to, okay, what, what's the data that we have? The, The data shows that users like the efficiency from a voice interface. So just taking that one truth, because it seems like that's the, the strongest truth that we have so far from the, the voice assistant experiences to date. And then just seeing how can we recreate that truth in my own business? And if that doesn't make sense, if efficiency or simplicity as part of the end user experience or operations, whatever it might be, isn't crucial, yeah, then may, maybe voice isn't at a stage where it makes sense in, in your business today. But I think the opportunities um, far outweigh those scenarios where voice might not be a good feature, if, if that makes sense. But Dave, I really appreciate you sharing your perspective. I, I now want to turn it over to um, the others in the room and, and the different people that are listening. If there's any questions or comments or thoughts on uh, whether it's the what we've been talking about specifically today with voice experiences in travel or even if it's just general thoughts around, uh, you know, the voice assistant model versus more the voice standard voice interface model, uh, would love to invite anybody to come up and, and ask any questions or uh, say anything. Brett Adler, I see you in the room. I want to talk to you. <laughs> we'll see if I'll, I'll invite Brett. We'll see. We'll see if he uh, if he wants to come up. Or Jeron. Yeah, I I think this has just been a it's been an interesting conversation, and I hope that like what I'm saying doesn't come across as, um, as being real bearish and negative. I mean, I, I just think that it's like you said, we've been at this for five years and, um, I feel like we're kind of banging our head against the wall a little bit. And I really like what you guys are doing at Speechly because I do think it's, it's not like it's like, this is the only approach. I just think that it's a little bit, it's just viable. And I, I think that's something that we kind of almost need wins right now as, you know, a group. And, and these seem to be areas of opportunity. What's up, James? Hey, James. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, having this room because this is exactly the reason that I came on to clubhouse for discussions like this surrounding this topic. It's just so amazing to listen to you guys talk about, um, you know, the ecosystem and, and different ways of, of thinking about it. And um, that would be sort of my comment is that I think like you guys have been discussing, it's a new sort of paradigm that people who actually, you know, end users who are maybe available to use this technology sort of have to have a new way of thinking about it is not just conversational or not just checking the weather, but I think also from the design perspective, it's also, a, you know, a paradigm shift as well in terms of 
you know, like, you know, we're talking about this United app in terms of way of thinking. And it's just, it's just so amazing to me to be sort of, I feel like I'm on the forefront of this conversation. I just want to, I just want to thank you guys for that because in my sort of my community of that I'm working with, I have these sort of ideas of the things that I want to build and using this technology as a tool, as opposed to just something to ingest with. So I just want to thank you guys. Yeah, appreciate that comment, James. And I think you, you made an interesting observation there with the, the design mentality. Um, I think that there's so much to be talked about with design because it's so different from the, the voice that I guess like if you think of design today in the voice assistant world, it's, it's very controlled by this idea of conversation design. So actually building the, the flows back and forth between the conversation. However, if we're talking about the voice UI as a feature, that design paradigm is very different from, I think, being able to design conversation. There's, there's a lot of these skill sets from maybe the previous generation of being able to design web or, or mobile experiences that definitely needs to be accounted for that um, I think makes it, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if tricky is the right word, but it makes it interesting to further explore um, how we should be thinking about uh, voice interface as a feature from a design perspective. So I think that's a, uh, a very interesting observation. Brett, did you have something uh, you wanted to say as well? Thanks for coming up. Oh, thanks for having me. Sorry, I wasn't near my phone at that moment. Um, I heard my name called, but uh, no, I think, I guess just backing up, I think voice is a user, is an interface, right? And I think it's going to be used through voice assistance, digital assistance, you know, all that stuff. It's also going to be used in apps. It's going to be used on websites. Like in the end, I just see it almost everywhere. I won't go so far as to claim everywhere, but, um, and so I think that we're going to have all different use cases based on, you know, is this your digital assistant in your ear, like in the movie Her, or in, you know, something where like they're walking you through your day, or is this more of a, you know, like say just within an app, just to do certain commands. Um, and I, uh, I will mention one thing. I know that overall, I agree, it does seem that the bulk of use of smart displays uh, currently is mostly the first party, meaning, you know, made by uh, Amazon directly or Google. But I still think there's a lot of stuff brewing there um, that I think will start to come out that will, you know, like the app I'm working on or whatever, I don't know. But I just, I, know I think there's a lot more untapped still and a lot more that will come. So I do believe that while first party may always rule on um, on a lot of these devices, I think it may start to change a bit as there's more apps in the same way Apple was, you know, you, you get all their apps and a lot of people use them by default, same with Microsoft, but over time other things come up that make it worth people to download or to use instead of the defaults. And um, like, I think that's a great point, Brett. Great, to, great to see you. I guess I, I don't know how I would say this. Great to chat with you. Um, you. <laughs> yeah, great to hear you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, okay, so I think the iPhone is actually kind of an interesting example. So why did the Apple iPhone ecosystem like kind of take off? Like, was it that the apps got better, or was it that this sort of underlying technology? allowed for that because I kind of really remember those first generations of, I, of iPhones that remember the first Facebook app, like how bad it was, like it was like okay. abysmal. And then like a couple iterations later, it got better. But what also happened was like we moved from 3G to 4G and like, and then it became just like more feasible. And so I wonder like what's analogous in that regard to this ecosystem? Like what are the underlying technology breakthroughs that we need? chances are it's going to be things around NLP and ASR, right? Like it's going to be some of the underlying technologies that need to really kind of mature in order for them to facilitate these more optimal experiences so that eventually using Facebook on your phone is actually superior than using it on your web desktop. And so I think like sometimes I kind of wonder like our thinking is sort of clouded, I think, with like the limitations that exist. And I wonder like what breakthroughs are going to come whether it be the way that, like I said earlier in this conversation, like when you had the suddenly you had Google, which like really changed the whole nature of the Internet and the incentive to build a website as any company. Uh, and then like all the parallels with a mobile ecosystem where it's like cellular connectivity got better and better and better to where using your phone made sense. Like the 
the actual phone got bigger, you know, the apps got more robust, they were more capable. Um, so I'm like, what are those analogous things to this ecosystem that are going to be the underlying breakthroughs that will facilitate just ultimately a better experience? I And I even think to the, maybe like the iPhone moment or the, the smartphone moment, um, which, yeah, I guess was facilitated by the iPhone. Um, think about even the, like the first applications and how you would engage with them. It really wasn't until some of like, I think the games specifically angry birds where we started to explore, um, you know, the different gestures that you could do on the phone. So before that it was just very tappy. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of swiping and and different interactions with the screen that even existed. And so this takes me back to, um, something that we were talking about earlier with like laying the foundation from just voice features to graduating to more conversational. Um, I, I think I want to, I'd pass this back to you, Brett, because uh, we're talking about um, almost like, just like we need more time, but the way that I think about it is I, I don't know if the everyday end user really even knows how to engage with uh, a voice device. And we need to further explore even just the, the simplest voice features so that we can, I don't know, I don't know what the right way of saying it is, but I, th- I think we need to ultimately educate end users on how they can even engage with voice uh, features even today. Yes, uh, I absolutely agree. I have a separate idea about that, which I won't mention here yet. But like, I do think that sometimes I hear people make this claim that like, oh, you know, smart uh, voice now is so easy, you don't have to learn it, right? Like everyone can use it. And while it is certainly, you know, leaps above figuring out how to use a mouse and a lot of other stuff with the keyboards even, I absolutely agree. But the idea that there's no learn curve, I just, every time I hear that, I cringe because I watched my mother. I've watched other people try to use it. And For it is sure. not always but, but do you think that that it. learning curve exists if it's just a, let's say, like a button to input information and there's no turn taking? It's it's maybe similar to some of those uh, initial experiences that you might be familiar with in a mobile and web context. Uh, and I again, I think of that as almost being like a, a strategy to progress people from again, more of these voice-enabled experiences with screen devices to a future where if you're very familiar with solving the task using your voice, maybe you don't need the screen in the future. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to flip back a little too. Like, I still think of, you guys know I referenced the movie Her, and I always have to tell people it's debatably a good movie or not, but it's definitely kind of like uh, Minority Report. You can question whether or not you like the movie, but it definitely showed the future a lot. And in the beginning of her, that's what I'm always stuck on is when he is just walking, he is checking emails, his calendar, his text, all the stuff that we do now. And I know Dave and I've been trying to do more of this, like try to just use Siri for almost everything I can checking, you know, and so when I watch him just walk and get through his calendar and to do list and communications without, every, you know, except for looking at a photo, he just walks and he and he's done. And I just I look forward to where I could be driving and just be talking through my to-do list for the day, <laughs> things like yeah. that. So I... Well, and I think that, like, I remember when I went to the first Alexa conference and I heard Brian Romley speak, you know, the thing that really stuck out in my mind was, like, this whole idea of contextual awareness, and it's not there yet, and there's going to be some significant hurdles in order to to get there, you know, especially from, like, a, a privacy standpoint, an ethics standpoint, but... I think that like when we're talking about like kind of these like underlying breakthroughs like that, that's the I think that's like a really big one where uh, when you when you have the assistant like that, that might then make the conversational um, AI experience superior is that you actually have this thing that like learns from you over time and it has like deep levels of context to know that like what you're referencing is something from your email that, you know, and so like, and and then it can be proactive and it can have like agency on your behalf. And, and, and so I think like there are, there are elements to what's kind of happening under the surface that I'm, I'm really going to be curious to see how it unfolds over the next few years. But with, without that, it falls apart because it's like you, 
you're having to essentially start from square one with every single interaction that you have, which is really, really unnatural. I mean, having to specify the types of things that you do in conversation with a conversational AI today is like, it's, it's so inferior to communicating with a person, let alone, you know, like using the legacy modalities to, to access a lot of this stuff, because, you know, if it's like Google, for instance, then it's going to have like layers of, of, of knowledge about what you're referring to if you're in, you know, Gmail or whatever. So it's like, when does Google Assistant start to become more aware of, of like previous context and, and, and all that history and that information to reference so that I'm not constantly having to like sort of reinforce like, okay, no, this is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm trying to describe. And you have to have a layer of context on it. Yeah, no, I like, I don't, do you guys know you can, uh, a while back, I, you can like uh, program Siri to know things like who's your mom, who's your dad, who's your wife, who's your brother or things like that. Yeah. So then you can just say like, call wife, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of having to like pick my wife's name and like, well, ex-wife now, but that's another discussion. But the, um, you know, like it should be able to learn a lot of that. Right. And so over time it gets, like you say, it gets to know you better. You can just say, navigate home, navigate to work. And some of that's there. I keep thinking of that chart. I forget where it came from, but do you guys remember that like evolution of AI? It's like five stages and they talk about like reactive and then proactive and then like empathetic, you know, and it gets to like, I don't know if you guys ever saw that chart, but um, if not, I can send it to you. I never saw it. I don't think I did either. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's kind of like the evolution of right. And so like right now we're more in reactive mode. Proactive is kind of the big next step, right? Where it anticipates things and gets to know you and tells you it's time to leave through drive or you know some of these things are in place already, but they're going to get more. Are some of those things though just more personalization features rather than like a voice assistant feature? And I, I guess I because I agree with you guys. I and. I'm, I think I'm optimistic <laughs> from like my, my core. Um, and I always look for like the, the, the positive side of things, but I, I guess I've just been a part of so many of these, like in the future, uh, like where these voice experiences are going to go, like type conversations that sometimes I think we almost as a community get so wrapped up in the, where is it going that we don't focus on like, what do users want today? Um, yeah. and then people and as a function of that don't, don't really give it the attention and then no one builds it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I think we definitely have to, and especially when people are starting businesses, I, I know we've all seen it, people who start businesses around this, that maybe it's too early, right? Whether it's the technology, I tried to build a, uh, app once for, um, finding a tailgate spot, like for anyone who's done it in a big university parking lot or, you know, uh, any big, you know, NFL, whatever, any, anytime you've done that, it's really hard. You could say, oh, I'm in this parking lot, but you can't find the spot. Well, I built this whole little app, except that it turned out GPS isn't very accurate, especially back then. And so I could get to tell them what parking lot, but I couldn't really tell them what spot in the parking lot, which defeated the whole point in the first place. And if I had understood better how, you know, inexact the GPS was, I wouldn't have bothered building it. So I think we're, I think you're right. We have to look at what users want and also what's possible now, and then also acknowledge what isn't possible yet. And some people can be the Elon Musk and go really build it. And other people can just hold off until it's there. Like I can't improve GPS. So I would have just, you know, maybe now it'd be better. You know? Yeah. And I, I think that um, among the, again, in the voice community, there's, there's some people that maybe don't like the conversation around less con like less conversational experience. However, I guess the way that I try and frame it is I am equally as bullish in wanting that future as the next person. And I think it's as a function of that, that I've ultimately been more open to this other model of, or considering just like, how are we going to get to that future? And I guess I'm just fully embracing this idea of, voice features to provide that foundation to the future of more conversational or or voice assistant type experiences in the future. But I don't know if you have any final thoughts. We're, we're right at the, the hour for our conversation today. And 
James, Brett, I appreciate you both coming up and, and giving your, your perspectives as well. But Dave, any, any final thoughts to, to close us out? Um, yeah, this has been great. Um, I, I just think that, uh, we're in a, I, I like what you said where it's like, you know, kind of like focusing on what's ready and know that like, yes, there will be breakthroughs. There will be lots of new opportunities that arise as time goes on. But this seems really, really obvious to me that like, in terms of, uh, again, going back to the, like the Brett Kinsella thing where, you know, he was presenting of like, we're kind of in phase two is what he called it. You know, phase one was the proliferation of the voice assistants and, and, and like voice as a whole. And then phase two is like the habituation and the specialization. And I think that that's the phase we're in right now. And I think that building the habit cannot be discredited as like the foundation for building upon that. And so I think being able to create more instances across the internet where people can build this habit of getting acclimated with this idea of using their voice and leaning on the things that it's really good on uh, seems to be where I would place my bets right now. And I think that that's ultimately going to allow for you then to graduate into more sophisticated things as time goes on, but you got to start somewhere. And rather than try to just like bite off more than you can chew, start simple, start with like the, you know, search or voice UI as the input and then just slowly iterate on top of that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Speechly podcast. If you enjoyed this discussion and are interested in the world of voice user interfaces, we would love if you subscribed and checked out future episodes. And if you are ready to integrate a voice user interface in your website or application, or if you would just like to learn more about the opportunities with voice user interfaces, you should check out our website at speechly.com.